amen, and you can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Well, to fill in the context for just a moment before I begin to shift this, let me just, again, try to just be as, as sincere and as honest as I can with this. I want to share from personal, I don't want to say experience, but it's easy for pastors to preach things that we know to be true doctrinally, we know to be true biblically, but we don't necessarily know them to be true experientially. Does that make sense? It even is for you and I, and, and for you as a, as, as, a, as a layperson in the body of Christ, and even more so as pastors. But I want you to know today that this text of Scripture in the context that I'm going to begin to, to, to expand and look at, I, I want you to know that this is a proven principle in my heart and life. That this is something that when it became so alive inside of my heart and my spirit many years ago, it, it just, it continued to alter, it continues to alter um, my character. And when I, when I find myself, I hate to say this, when I find myself uh, gravitating to a season of being in, you know, in spiritual complacency or apathy, there is nothing that stimulates my faith more than Romans eleven seventeen. To know that I can draw from the root and the fatness of the olive tree. The greater context in Romans 11 is the Apostle Paul referencing the olive tree as a metaphor of spiritual Israel. Physical Israel, yes, but certainly the spiritual Israel context equally as much. In the sense that Israel as a whole here in this there are those that were broken off in unbelief, those that did not believe that, as John said, Jesus came into his own and his own received them not. So by that context, they were broken off in unbelief. But then those that did believe, they are producing, they themselves are drawing from the root and the fatness of the olive tree, the blessing that came to Abraham. The blessing that came to the people of Israel when they made a covenant at Mount Sinai. The blessing that comes to, to their serve, by their service and their faith and their faithfulness to God. And then as he, as he further then in this context, he's reminding the Gentiles. And this is kind of the context of Romans 3 forward. By faith, we too have been grafted into the olive tree. We were of a wild olive tree, he said, but now you're brought into a good or a cultivated olive tree. What causes it to be good is because it was in covenant with God. The people of Israel, by faith, that were in covenant with God, are a good olive tree, and they are drawing from the root and the fatness of the tree. As a result, they are simply saying, Paul is saying here, that those that believe that who you are and what you are, you gain a great measure of your faith through extracting life from the root. When you take a moment of time to study, and I obviously would fail uh, in, in being able to say, uh, use uh, scientific terms, but the, but, the, but the tree itself gains its nutrients and its water to produce fruit on its branch from the root. The root is extracting minerals and water from the soil and bringing it to the branches that's producing first leaves and then fruit. And in this context here, Paul said, if you're arrogant and you are judging the Israelite that had been broken off but unbelief, he said, let me remind you, the root bears you as a branch, you do not bear the root. 
it humbles us and keeps us in a place of proper perspective. But what am I saying to you? I'm saying for us here today that you just, I'll, I'll bring this in and make it a little bit more known in a moment of time to us that as Gentile believers, we were grafted in among them. That's what the text said. It's open there. You are grafted in, joined together in common faith with the Jew who has faith in Jesus. Let's go ahead and jump to Ephesians 2, which was where I closed off last week, to see if we can put this together before we really start making this person. We'll come back to Romans 15, 4 in a moment. And Angie, we're going to go to Ephesians 2. And this is where I closed off last week. And this is, again, there's six verses here that I'm going to share with you, 11 through 13, and then I believe um, 17 through 19, I believe it is. So now, again, remember this. The Apostle Paul, in the language used in the Scripture, is literally defining two people groups. He's defining Israel by faith, first of the natural lineage of Abraham, but again, recognizing that those who have stumbled in unbelief at this season have been broken off in unbelief. But the Gentiles, the other people group, who were afar off, who are away from the covenant promises of ancient Israel, now through Christ, you are brought near. Isn't that what we closed off on last week? Do y'all remember? Say, Pastor, I don't really remember your sermon from last week. Go back and watch it. It's going to be on Facebook, and you can find it. It will challenge you, and it will teach you. So let's pick this up. Wherefore, remember. Can we think on that for a moment? Don't for, if, if someone says, remember, he's saying, make sure that you don't forget this. This is critical. It's critical to your perspective of God and how you view yourself. Let's read this. So, wherefore, remember that in times past you were Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Last week, I, we noted in Genesis 17 and then also carried forward in the Mosaic Law that the mark of covenant with God, first with Abraham and then to the children of Israel, was the mark of circumcision. In this, Paul is saying that you are literally called uncircumcision by that which or the people group that are called circumcision in the flesh. He said then, let's read this, at that time, at that time, you were without Christ. Pause. Before you came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and before you repented of your sins, before you confessed Christ as your Savior, before you were born again, here's what you were. You were an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. And in reality, you had no hope and you were without God in the world. And that's the plight of every person who doesn't truly know Jesus Christ and has redemption through Christ. That's where you and I, that was our existence. We may have knew of God, we may have had an understanding that there is or an awareness that there is God, but we didn't have fellowship with God, right? We didn't have hope. We had no covenant of promise. A sinner doesn't have a covenant of promise with God. So let's go farther. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now I also noted for you by the reference of those who were afar off and those who are near. Once again, Paul is referencing 
the Gentiles as far off and the Jews who are near. Now let's pick it up again in verse number 7. I think it was 17 is what I think so. Yes. He said, and came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to them that were nigh. So here's Paul saying that we've come and through Christ we're preaching peace. That you can have peace with God through Christ. If you're a Jew and you're near to the covenant and you're a direct descendant of Abraham and you're circumcised in the flesh and you know the Torah and you receive the lineage of faith, uh, you were an Israelite, you can trace your tribe, you're of Benjamin, you're of Zebulun, it doesn't matter, Judah, you can trace your tribe, you're near. He said, he said we preach peace to you. And you were way afar off. You were way away from God. You, didn't, you, were, you were not a part. You weren't included in that column. He said, but now that you have an access point to God, correct? Read verse 18. Through him, you and I both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, let this really get down in your spirit. You are no more strangers and foreigners. I'm reading it slowly because I want it to sink in. You are a fellow citizen with the saints. And you are of the household of God. You're a fellow citizen with the historic people of God. The people of God that you often look at when you read the Old Covenant and you marvel at them. And you'll say, man, those are the children of God. You better not touch God's anointed. You'll say things in your own language. That's Israel. They're the chosen people of God. And I agree. But here's the truth, the deeper truth. But you who were afar off are now brought near by the blood of Jesus. And you who, know, who previously you had no covenant of promise, you were without God and you had no hope in the world. But now you're at peace with God. I don't have to fret. I don't have to think or worry. I don't believe that God is, is, is I don't have animosity. God doesn't have animosity towards me, and I don't have animosity toward God. He's my Father through the covenant that I have been able to enter into through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the tree. That, my dear friends, is the mystery of the gospel that Paul preached. If we were to read farther into Ephesians 3, he said, I pray, I pray that when you read, you understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. What mystery of Christ was that? That there is the inclusion of the Gentiles into the commonwealth of ancient Israel. And let me tell you this today. Let me just go, I just want, it's got to, something's got to change in our spirit. Something's got to change in our mind, our perspective. Our hope that you and I are in covenant with God through Christ. The same way that we read about in the book of Genesis chapter 15. And in the book of Genesis chapter number 17. That when God had Abram slay the animals. I referenced it last week. Jace referenced it on Wednesday night. And when Abram fell into the deep slumber. And God himself passed through the pieces of the animal. I think Jace referenced it as the walk of death or the walk of blood. God was himself saying, I'm forming this covenant, and even if there's failure in your part, I'm going to keep my part. And you and I look at that, and we say clearly that Abraham was in covenant with God. Well, can you say with the same confidence 
that you're in covenant with God. Because if you can, I'm telling you, you ought to live a life that brings glory to God. Because you're in covenant with God. So let's go a little, again, deeper into this. Go back to the book of Romans for just a moment. Now we're going to stop at chapter 15, verse number 4. So let's read this. And I'll show you what I mean by that we draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. Chapter 15, verse number 4. Paul is writing again. And he's referencing the things that were written before time. So now for a moment, let's pause. The things that we have to remember that, and I've told you this more times than, than, many times I should say, that when the New Testament writers are referencing the scriptures, they're referencing the old covenant. They're referencing the threefold division of the scriptures to the Jewish world, which was the law, the prophets, and the writings. And the writings included the Psalms and Proverbs and, and a few additional books. It's a division. You'll see it. Read it closely. You'll see that's according to the law, the prophets, and the writings. And so anytime that the, the New Testament writer is referencing the scriptures or that which is written, he's speaking of, again, what you and I now look back on and call it the old covenant. And so we're able to see this. We're able to see those promises. We're able to see those commandments. We're able to see the, God's interaction with the children of Israel. We're able to see God's faithfulness. And we're able to see many times the unfaithfulness of the children of Israel. We're able to learn. How many of you know you don't just learn from success, but sometimes you learn from failure? Matter of fact, if, I, if you'll allow me to, I'll say this. You better learn from failure. If you don't learn from failure, you're destined to repeat failure. And so that's why Paul said the things that were written before time were written for what? What's it written for? Let me ask you, what's it written? It's written for our learning. That you and I, how many of you know you have to be a student of the covenant? Right? Let's, let's, let's pause right here and let's move that over for a second. As a citizen of the United States, how many of you know that you have rights? Right? That's been granted unto us by our Constitution and our Bill of Rights. And it behooves you and I to know them. But we also, we know this, that there are some people that don't care about those rights. So therefore, it's our responsibility to know and to stand up for those rights, correct? Right? And so now, now put it back in the spiritual sense. In this context, through your learning, that you, what, what will happen to you through your learning? Through patience. How many of you know that those who, through faith and patience, they'll inherit the promises of God? Patience is very important. It's a part of growing in faith. It's according to God's timing, right? How many of you know patience is not waiting? Because I know a lot of people who wait in unbelief, who wait in murmuring and complaining, right? Grumbling and arguing. That's not patience. Patience is to be steadfast and immovable in what you believe. It says, it may have not manifested itself exactly as of yet, but it doesn't change my profession and my confession. The way I see it is the way I'm going to believe it, right? The way I believe it is the way I'm going to see it. If I believe it, I'm going to see it. So patience and comfort of what? Notice this. Of the what? Read it with me. Of the what? Of the scriptures, you might have what? You might have hope. So it says, through faith and patience and through the comfort that the scriptures give, you and I can have hope. That through the things that are written beforehand. So what do I mean? Let me go ahead and I can bring this and fold those two together. That you and I, when we, this is my belief, 
I thank God for the Word of God. I thank God from Genesis to Malachi, what we again call the Old Covenant. But to be true, the Gospels themselves should be more attached to the Old Covenant, to the New, until the blood was shed on the tree. And so when we read the Gospels, it's, it's really Jesus is ministering according to the Old Covenant. He, when he healed a woman in Luke chapter number 13 who was bowed over in her back, she couldn't be raised up, she couldn't kiss her grandchildren, she couldn't serve her family, she couldn't go to the worship and lift up holy hands. When Jesus healed her, what did he heal her uh, on the basis of? He healed her with these words. He said, ought not this daughter of Abraham be loosed from this infirmity on the Sabbath day? So in essence, he kept it in the context of the covenant that was made with Abraham. And so then, but, but once the blood was applied on the tree, right, and a new covenant was formed, that the writer of Hebrews says that that new covenant is based upon better promises. It's a better covenant, and it's got better promises. But that doesn't mean that the old covenant doesn't still have life in it. Are y'all out there today? Right? It doesn't mean that we don't still continue to look back into the scriptures and extract life from them. Are y'all out there? So let me go ahead what I mean by this. And in Romans chapter number 11, let's go back to this. It says here in this sense that you and I as Gentile believers were grafted in among them and with them partake of the root and the fatness of the tree. It is my belief that when you as a believer begin to read and meditate and study upon the Word of God, and God's Holy Spirit begins to reveal to you exceeding precious promises. How many of you know that's how the Apostle Peter defined promises? Exceeding precious promises to us as believers. And when you and I begin to alter our profession of faith, how many know that's very, very important? That you alter your profession and you hold fast to your profession of faith because you can stumble in unbelief by what you say. And But when you begin to line yourself up and you begin to read and meditate and study and the Spirit of God begins to reveal to you a truth and that truth becomes real in your spirit and then it begins to alter the way you pray. It begins to alter the way that you act. It begins to alter your communion with God, your relationship with other people. Let me tell you what you're doing. You're drawing from the root and the fatness of the tree. When you have ever been in the darkest place of life, and that is in the valley of the shadow of death, whenever you've gone through that season of maybe even loneliness, maybe it was a spouse of 30 or 40 years, and you felt that, that the pain of that loss and the separation, and you began to hurt, but in your prayer time, you begin to pray, and you begin to meditate on Psalm 23. And every time that you begin to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. He's going to bring me through this. His rod and his staff comforts me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. And I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Every time that in despair you turn to that passage, Psalm 23, the world's most recognized passage of Scripture, and you prayed it and you meditated on it and God gave you life through it. Let me tell you what you did. You drew from the root and the fatness of the tree. And God brought life to you through the text and it produced fruit in your life for the glory of God. Man, that's a good word right there. 
Now, let me just tell you about this. You're covenant people with God. Did y'all know that? And so for the sake of time, let me just highlight Abraham for just a moment. When you think about Abraham for a moment, he has a very rich history. And his life, uh, there are a lot of things when you go back and you read when God met him in Genesis chapter number late 11, early chapter number 12. And then you follow him for about the next 13 chapters to 15 chapters of the book of Genesis. And his journey from uh, Mesopotamia all the way down even into Egypt and back to what was known as Canaan's land. And his wife Sarah. And then how that he stumbled through the tent of Hagar, produced Ishmael, but God wasn't. Uh, God wasn't satisfied with that offspring because he had made a covenant with him that he intended for that covenant of his seed to come through Sarah and then at 99 years of age when he doesn't have the capacity to produce a child and his wife is 90 and her womb is dried up but God comes to him and reaffirms the covenant and Sarah laughs she laughs because God allowed her to laugh because she now nurses a child on the paps that had dried and had no life but how many of you know God has the last laugh right when God honors his word and so you can go back and there's a lot of depth to his life and we think about Abraham being a patriarch but if you look deeper into his life for just a moment and you say is there any way that I can identify with Abraham the Bible says that Abraham had much cattle I can identify with him right there hallelujah I feel Jesus right there just drop down on me but he also had gold and silver men servants maid servants and the Bible says he was blessed and his wife was blessed his family was blessed. He had generational blessing. We live in a generation and in a season when we can look around and the people that don't know God have generational cursing. Addictions follow them. Abuse follows them. Are y'all out there today? The way that husbands have hurt and wounded their wives follows them. It's a curse. But you and I can square our shoulders up and say, I'm not living under a curse. I'm walking in blessing, the blessing of God upon my family, upon my home, upon my children, upon my grandchildren. Come on. And when you do that, let me tell you what you're doing. You're drawn from the root and the fatness of the tree. He had herdsmen, and, 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 and not only did he have herdsmen, he was a herdsman, but he was still strong in battle. He was also a tither. He also met Melchizedek, who represented or or was a forerunner to Jesus Christ. He brought a gift to, to Melchizedek, and he also ate bread and wine with Melchizedek. He walked in protection and favor. How many of you want to walk in protection and favor in the world that we live in today? Abraham had the confidence that God was protecting him. He was an intercessor. He interceded on behalf of people that, that, were, that were receiving the just recompense for their sin. He prayed to God. He was privy to the counsel of God. God spoke to him about nations. He was a worshiper at the altar. And did you know he was righteous before God? He was called the friend of God. And why is that? Because he was in covenant with God. Let me tell you today, I want you to know this has got to get deep down in your spirit. You're in covenant with God. You have a covenant with God and you are in covenant with God. And every time that you as a believer in Christ, every time that you have gone to the word of God and you said, God, I'm at a tough place in my life. And, and I'm, I'm just at a tough place. And I need the help of God. Every time that you have seen the handiwork of God in your life, I'm telling you, you drew from the root and the fatness of the tree. 
I'll tell you, I've told this testimony before, but I'm going to tell, tell it one more time. I feel it today in my spirit. I had just a little bit of the notes. As I have grown and matured in my faith, I've learned to really study the life of David. Now, everybody's different, obviously. We have male and female. We have different walks of life. And, but I tell you what, I just believe that God can speak to your life through the Word of God as you meditate it. As there is a parallel between someone that you find in the Scriptures. I honestly believe that God will direct your path through the Word of God. I honestly believe that if you're in a desperate season in your life, that if you'll read and meditate, I believe God will take. How many of you know the Bible says in Psalm 1, number 19, that his word is a light unto our feet. What does it say? A lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. That means I couldn't see. I couldn't know which direction to go. I was in darkness all around until his word illuminated my path. And then when his word illuminated my path, then I was able to find my direction and God was able to lead me through it. I've told you before, sometimes faith is not always just simply overcoming and winning the battle. Sometimes you escape by faith. Sometimes you get out of bad situations by faith. Sometimes that you shake off the anxiety that comes. Sherry and I's first year or two, when we were the pastors of Hebrew First Assembly, and, and uh, uh, we, were, we, were, we were going through changes, our family, and, and connect, trying to, 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 to adapt to Hebrew Springs, and and, and trying to know what to do and where to live and to make move, you know, those kind of things. And y'all have heard our testimony. I'm not going to wear you away with that testimony about when our house burned down and the resources that God brought to us that brought a change to our lives. But when we came down to Heber here, we still, the house that we had built following the house fire in 2001, we still had, and we, weren't, we hadn't sold it as of yet. It was on the market. And so, but we were able, at that time, they were just loaning money like crazy, and so that was what part of what led to the housing bubble burst in 2008 later. And so with this, though, they would loan money because we had the equity in that home. So we needed a home here, and we bought a home. And we went out and bought that home. That was not the, the we, we made a mistake. We moved out to Ida. And those of you that are living from close to Concord, Tim, are from there. For us, it was the wrong move. And I'm a Wilburnite, so I could kind of say that. It was too far. It was too far. We had children in school at Hebrew and football practice and basketball practice. And we were back and forth and back and forth. And I, it was after about three weeks, I turned to Sister Sherry and I said, Sherry, we have made a mistake. This is too much. We'll never keep up at this pace. Joe, have you ever felt that in your life right now? I know that's where we were at. But at least you just have a quick drive up the mountain. And I was coming from, from way off of Richwood Mountain Road, which is just off of Dry Mountain Road. And I said, we were getting home after football practice every night with peewee football, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. It just kept going. High school, junior high, uh, uh, cheerleaders, just everything. I said, Lord Jesus, we have made a mistake. It's too much. And so we ended up, because of the equity in the home in Shirley, we bought another home. Both of them were, we were able to rent to help pay the payment. But let me tell you, you're talking about pressure on a single income household with that I was responsible for three house payments and I'm telling you it started weighing on me and weighing on me how many of you know that financial pressure can, and, and I can already tell I'm not going to finish this message today and I'm going to save a lot of it for next week because I'm not finished yet so the financial pressure can begin to weigh on you it can begin to eat away at you and you can become anxious 
and you find yourself snapping, and you find yourself frustrated. And I'm telling you from being uh, married for many years and observing also other couples, and when people are going through financial crisis, oftentimes they find themselves arguing with the one that they need to be in agreement with to get out of the situation, which is their spouse. And the enemy will use that to agitate division and dissension between a husband and wife. And it begins, what happens is it begins to sever that line of blessing because if a husband and wife can't come together in agreement, then the fullness of God's blessing is not being realized in their life. Are you out there? This wasn't in the notes. This is in my heart. It's just coming out today. And so I realized, again, in repentance that I'd made a mistake, a couple of mistakes. And one thing that I have the privileged opportunity being the pastor of the church, I have access to the sanctuary during the course of the day. Unfortunately, many of you do not. And so I had the opportunity to get alone with God and work and to pray. But the one thing I know is that you cannot murmur your way out of a difficult situation. You can't complain yourself in bitterness out of a difficult situation. As a matter of fact, you better praise your way out of a difficult situation. And when you do, let me tell you what you're doing. You're drawing from the root and the fatness of the tree. And so God had always, or God, not say God had always, but God was definitely over the last several years, he was teaching me through the life of David. And I found a moment where David made a bad mistake. And he went to a place he shouldn't have went to. And it was found in 1 Samuel chapter number 21. And in chapter number 21 is when he has fled from Saul. But in his arrogance of fleeing from Saul, guess where he goes to? He goes to the Philistines, and in the, which is the ancient Israel or the ancient enemy of Israel. There's no love lost between uh, Israel and the Philistines. They weren't like rolling the red carpet out and said, here's David. We're so glad to have him. The king of the Philistines did to a degree. But the rest of the people started murmuring and, and saying things under their breath. And David realized he had made a bad mistake because they're talking about killing him because they knew about his prophetic destiny. How do you know the enemy knows about the prophetic destiny that God has for you? And if, you, if he can put enough pressure on you to make poor decisions till you move yourself out of that place of faith and you actually proceed by fear, let me tell you, I'm telling you, you can put yourself at risk, Right? of succumbing to that weight, it can lead you to a nervous breakdown. It can lead you again to making bad decisions even worse. I've watched it time and time again. People of God go from a bad decision to a worse decision. And I was praying about it one day. And I, and I had studied this out and I'd read about it. And I've told this testimony before, but this is a new group of people that need to know you've got covenant promises and you need to learn how to draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. And I remember that when I had studied out this passage in 1 Samuel chapter number 21, I said, how did David get out of this situation? Here's what the King James says. The King James says he feigned himself mad. He pretended that he was a madman. And when he pretended that he was a madman, listen to this. Here's what he did. He began to let the saliva flow off of his lips so that he would look like he was crazed. Uh, in that sense. Uh, and so as I began to read about that, I began to, the Spirit of God began to awaken things inside me. And I said, in that moment, it was flowing off of David's lips. That's not, saliva is not the only thing that flows off of David's lips. 
praise flows off of David's lips. And so I began to, and so I wonder when he was rambling and making all that noise, I wonder what he was saying. I'm going to say that he was declaring the goodness of God. He was speaking of the wonders of God. And then here's what he did. The Bible says that he, when I've shared this a couple of times, he went over, read it on your own, 1 Samuel 21, and he began to, he began to scratch on the wall. And it says, it began, in the King James, it says he marked the wall. And then when I studied that out previously, I, was, I had learned this, that that word for mark there in the Hebrew traces itself to a root word that actually is the sign of the cross. And so in my mind, I began to picture this with saliva on his mouth at the wall. He's marking it in the sign of the cross. And when I was under all that pressure, I came to this house alone, and I walked right over here. The, the stage was different in those days. There was a door that was right here. He needed a door. It's still there. There's still an opening behind that wall. It's not just for decor. There's a door here. And I was further down. The stage was smaller. And I stood right here, and I said, God, i got to get out of this situation. And I said, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I mark my wall by virtue of the blood of Jesus. I mark my wall by virtue of the grace of God and the delivering power of God. God, you've got to get me out of this situation in the name of the Lord Jesus. And within three months, both of those houses sold, and I was delivered, and I escaped to the cave of Adullam where I was able to give God praise. And you say, Pastor, you're a madman. Absolutely, I'm a madman. But so was David. And I'm going to draw from the root and the fatness of the tree all the days of my life for the glory of God. Hallelujah. I know preaching like that may scare some of you. But I'm telling you, when you feel pressure and you get delivered, you don't care any longer in Jesus' name. And God delivered me and my family. And let me tell you why he delivered my family in that moment of time. Because my faith... Went down into the root because there was life in God and there was life in the Word of God and there was a covenant promise for me and I knew I needed a way out and God said, if you'll believe me, I'll bring you out. He left me there long enough to feel the sting of the poor decision. How many know he'll do that because he's a loving father? But I wasn't overwhelmed in sorrow. I wasn't caught up in bankruptcy by the grace of God. I was able to turn those houses over to new owners and live in mine under the blessing of God. And in doing so, I had a life lesson that would follow me the rest of my days. That's drawing from the root and the fatness of the tree. Daryl joined me on the platform. I preached probably too long. I'm not finished, but I'm preaching better than you are shouting here today. And I know I'm preaching loud and I'm preaching fervent, but I can't help it, church family. When you get these things down in your spirit, you will never be in a hopeless situation because you'll always go to the Word of God and you'll take the time to pray and you'll say, God, I need a word in my spirit. I need direction in my heart. I need clarity to the situation I'm dealing with. When you're facing situations with your family, your children, some of you are there even today. I know that. I've been there with six children myself. Every time, every time I was able to go to the Word of God and pray and say, God, I need wisdom. I need this, the Spirit of God to be in my life because I draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. Does that make sense here today to each of you? That's what Paul was saying to you today. I, I had a, Sherry and I had a great opportunity this week to visit with a, 
a, a new couple to our church, and they asked me a question. It was a fair question. And I found myself privileged to answer it. And they said, Pastor, why is it that you take this anointing oil and we see you every Sunday right here, anoint your own head. And then I go farther than this. And he said, and it was a fair question and it needed to be answered. In my mind, Joe, I could remember Les Miles, the LSU coach at the time, eating grass on the field before every game. At least I'm not drinking the oil. So I take the anointing oil, just like this, in a moment of worship, and I anoint my head, just like this. And then I add to this by going here over my right eye and then to my right ear. And then not to mar my shirt, lest Sister Sherry get after me, I use another finger symbolically over my heart. And then my thumb, I make sure I get my right thumb. And then I go down and I mark just like that my right, on the right side of my shoe which would be over my right big toe. That sounds, there are pastors, people will be watching this from afar and say, that guy really is beside himself. And he needs serious help. Serious help. Why did I do that? Because I read in private devotion in the Word of God that when God separated the sons of Aaron who would minister to the children of Israel as intercessors number one as teachers number two to the people that God had Moses anoint their head with oil and then anoint their right ear the right thumb and the right big toe as if God was saying I'm going to cleanse what they've heard I'm going to cleanse what they've done and I'm going to cleanse from where they've been so that they can serve me sanctified and set apart for the glory of God. And I do that because when I take this place right here, I want to be able to say, Father, I am set apart for your glory to be able to minister to the people of this fellowship the covenant promises of God. And every time that I do that, Dylan, I'm drawn from the root. Are y'all out there? I'm drawn from the root and the fatness of the tree. And I'm saying, God, if you anointed the sons of Aaron, then you can anoint my life as well. Does that make any sense to anybody? How many know it's that important? It can alter every part about you. It can alter every part about you today. I want to ask you, I think we should close at an altar of prayer today. Just, just kind of coming together and standing for just a few moments. In doing so... We're, we're, we're simply drawing from the root and the fatness of the tree, worshiping God at the altar. We, can we do it that way to close? It's a smaller. If there were 200 people in here, I might not do this today, but there's probably 100 people, if that, in this room. How many do we have in here today? Say it out loud for me. I can. 88, so much less than what would normally be here. 88 people. If you can, for just a moment, to just come forward. Come forward and say, Pastor, why, why am I doing this? Because Abraham built an altar. Isaac built an altar. Jacob built an altar. They were in covenant with God. Moses worshiped at an altar. David built an altar. 
Elijah built an altar. Elisha worshiped God at an altar. Are y'all out there? Y'all catching this? By just coming forward, you're just reminding yourself that you're in covenant with God. And you're praying, God, let me in life's journeys, when I'm at critical moments in my life, let me draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. If you'll begin to pray right where you're at today, I have a prayer for you. I want to pray over you out of my heart today. So if you'll just begin to pray right where you're at, and I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know the situation, some of the situations that are going through in Jesus' name. But God, I'm just trusting the Lord to do good things. I'm just trusting God in Jesus' mighty name. I'm just trusting the Spirit. Matter of fact, I feel a little bit led in a moment. If somebody wants to be anointed with oil before we pray for the group as a whole, if you'll slip your hand up right now, I'm going to come by you, and I'll uh, put oil on your head just as a, a point of contact for you to draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. If there's anybody here that says, Pastor, would you anoint me with oil? Today I'm going to do that. And the rest of you, just be praying right now in the name of Jesus. God, we're just praying right now. Father, we're going to draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. You're going to cause things to come alive in our spirit, God. These that have raised their hand, they're simply saying, I need the blessing of God. I need the supernatural wisdom of God. Like Solomon, every time you say, God, give me the wisdom of Solomon, every time you ask that, you are asking according to the word of faith. And you're saying, God, let me draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. Let it be so real to me in Jesus' name that you would direct my steps, God. Let life flow, Father, through this root. Let the life of God flow in. Isn't that right? The very blessing of God. I anoint men and women with oil that have come forward in this house today. Spirit of God, I just thank you for this moment, God. I, it's spontaneous. I didn't plan it. It wasn't in the notes. But God, today, in Jesus' name, the root and the fatness of the tree, God, awaken the promises of God. Stir our spirits by faith in this house, in Jesus' mighty name, God, the root and the fatness of the tree. A few more here today, God, in the name of Jesus. We're anointing their heads with oil. God, let their cup run over. Isn't that right? Father God, let the blessing of God, isn't that right, Brian? The blessing of God in the name of Jesus. God, let it, them draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. Father, let families, God, draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. Let men and women, God, extract. Let the word become alive. Let it become living and active and sharpened. In Jesus' mighty name. Father, the anointing of God. Come on, the anointing of God. Exceeding, listen, let's pray, exceeding precious promises. Exceeding precious promises. How many of you know that this covenant that you and I are a part of today is a better covenant? We have the new covenant but the old covenant, is still, it still has life. It still, God still uses it to empower us, to direct our steps, to, bring an, uh, to assimilate certain things in our life, to line up. When I was in an almost overwhelming, hopeless situation, God pulled back 1 Samuel 21 for me so that I would have faith, that I could mark my wall, that I could escape from the land of the Philistines and hasten towards the cave of Adullam. And let me tell you, God will do the same for you. This is why you hide the word in your heart. This is why you read and study and meditate on it. 
so that when you do, you learn from it. You draw comfort from it. Remember what Paul said, Romans 15 and 4, that through patience and the comfort of the Scripture, we have hope. So you'll have hope. You'll have hope in the blessing of God. You'll have hope in the covenant. You'll know that God is faithful. He kept the covenant. You say, Pastor, I have failed. You say, Pastor, I have failed so miserably. I have failed. But see, this covenant is redemptive in nature, first and foremost. It's a covenant that he keeps even when I have failed because he's so gracious to us and merciful. So my prayer for each of you today is God give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Let their eyes become enlightened and let them know the hope of your calling and the riches of the glorious inheritance that they have in Christ Jesus. And you say, Pastor, what is that inheritance? You get to partake of the root and the fatness of the tree. Single mother, you draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. Aging men and women, you draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. Families that have crises in their homes right now, difficulties right now dealing with teenagers or young children, and sometimes parents don't know what to do, you know what? You draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. You draw from it. Let, let, let the life that's in the covenant flow into you. Let it give you hope. Let it produce fruit in your life. Let it alter the way you think and the way you speak, how you see God and how you see yourself because you're a part of the covenant in this house. You're a part of the covenant that God made through Christ. Let it alter every part about you. Fathers, I release this church family today, God. I feel so privileged that I was able to share this word with them. And I'm not finished, God. I'm just, call, I'm just hitting pause. This means so much. I believe it needs to be preached, God. Father, for to those who are far off and to those who are near, that we, till we fully understand that we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints. And we are of the household of God. We are people of covenant. And we are going to draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. Bless this church family. Bless every person that's come out to this house today. God, let them take what I've sown in their heart and let it be a stimulus. That's all my hope is for you today. Be a stimulus, a stimulus, a stimulus, a stirring, directing you. The things that were written, listen, listen, I'm praying. You said, Pastor, you pray along. I know I do. I know I do, but I'm dropping it in your spirit. It's real. I, I can't be that pastor that gives you the carbon copy, copy and paste sermon. This is, from, this is born of experience. I've, I've been in those hot, heated seasons and situations, and I needed hope. The scriptures, the covenant gave me hope. And God was able to deliver us and our family because of faith. Faith in his word, and it will come to you. Draw it. This is why you read. This is why you study and this is why you meditate upon the Word of God. That you might alter your life and your life expectation. How you think and act and react based upon the Word of God because you're in covenant with Him. Hold fast to your profession of faith. Father, I bless the people with whatever measure of faith that's in me. That when they walk out of this room today, they're going to have more, Father God, a, a, a greater understanding that they're to partake of the root and the fatness of that tree, God. 
in Jesus' name. And all God's children said with me today in this house, and everybody said, come on somebody, everybody said, amen and amen and amen. Thank you.